conflict is going to happen in every relationship. It's not a matter of if it's when. And so I, I use the example of a credit card bill. It's like that bill's due. It's always going to be due, right? You have two choices. You got to pay it now or you can pay it later with interest. Most business owners and entrepreneurs are secretly sick of hustling. And if you are too, you're in the right place. Welcome to the Hustle Less, Profit More podcast with me, Mickey Anderson, where we're revolutionizing success because you should have it all. Business success, lasting wealth, freedom, and fulfillment. Join me on this quest to uncover the keys to defining and achieving success on our terms so we can all hustle less and profit more. Power couple, Dr. Ray and Jean Tad Codain. Both have master's degrees in clinical psychology, and Dr. Ray has an additional doctorate in clinical psychology. They co-founded the Lighthouse Emotional Wellness Center, a successful counseling center in the Chicagoland area. After working with thousands of couples, they created and perfected a unique approach to coach couples to have amazing relationships, called Couples Synergy. They are co-hosts of their own podcast, Couples Synergy, Real Couples, Real Stories, and co-authored the book Good Boundaries, Great Relationships. In this episode, we explore the challenges of creating and maintaining strong relationships while pursuing personal goals. I hope you enjoy this incredible episode with Dr. Ray and Jean Tad Codain. I would love to kick it off with a little bit of an int introduction. Sure. Hi, I'm Dr. Ray. I'm Jean. And we're with Couple Synergy, and we've been working with couples exclusively for over 20 years. Mm -hmm. uh, we have our own podcast called Couple Synergy, Real Couples, Real Stories, Real Relationships. And we have a successful counseling practice that we have had in the Chicagoland area for over 20 years and now taking Couple Synergy and have been for the last couple of years to the general public. It's interesting to say a successful counseling practice as though it sounds so lovely and easy. <laughs> right. Doesn't it always yeah. from the outside? It does. And, you know, that's been quite a journey. And, you know, we got into this work because we were uh, traditional people in the mental health field as therapists. And you work for someone and they throw people at you and they throw families at you and they throw couples at you. And there's not a lot of training, which most people aren't aware of. And it's really ineffective and very difficult work. And you end up sort of like refereeing and stuff. And we just thought, you know, at the time when we started our company, we had a three-year-old and a 13-year-old, neither of which were thriving. We weren't present enough for them. Nothing was working really. I quit first and we started our company. This is, you know, our counseling practice. And then it, it was probably a three or four year transition between you working in the business, working for someone else outside of the business as we were trying to get more stable because we're both of the breadwinners in our family are both quitting our jobs to try to start something. So there was not a lot of stability. And, and so many years later, and there's still the ups and downs, even, you know, 20 something years into it. So it's kind of fun. <laughs> Interesting. You mentioned that, um, you moved on to try and create your own business to get a better handle on your family life balance and those sorts of things. And I think a lot of people do that. I think that's one of the primary reasons why many of us, me for sure, leave our traditional corporate jobs and go into entrepreneurship. But I don't know about you. I went in with the expectation that I was going to get more freedom and more time. And that was the complete opposite of my experience. It was like I took my work home and then it was like packed on top of me at all <laughs> Absolutely right. A corporate job, you punch in and punch out at the end of the day. But 
with your own business, it's, it's running 24 seven. Even if we are not working on the business, you're thinking about the business too. You know, I, I think the, the shift for us is that our, our son, and I remember that pivotal moment, our son was in daycare and he had a really, really hard time. There was one day where he was just crying and he didn't want to go the next day. And that was really, really hard for us. Even though at the time we were both working at the same company, we would see each other during the day, but still it was very kind of parallel lives, very separate lives at that point. And, you know, even though the business owned us after we started it, our son would come to our, our business with us. And so we would at least be able to be with him and see him and interact with him throughout the day. And that was, it was a little bit more freedom, at least a little bit more reassurance, you know, that he wasn't just out there, you know, alone suffering. Yeah. And I think the whole idea of your time and managing your time is, you know, like even our day today, we're, we're doing this and then we're going to do, I'm going to do some bookkeeping for the other company. And then we're selling a house. We have to go get that ready. And then you come back and you, you know, record another podcast to so your life kind of, it's all over the place all the time instead of set. But one of the things really early on, maybe within the first two years, the thought of going and working for someone else, you know, cause at least we can say, Hey, I'm not doing this today. If we want to, you know, you don't make any money if you do that, but you also have the luxury to do that. Or, you know what, I'm going to take this hour off. I'm going to go pick my son up from school and and bring them home and I can do that or I can take off and go to the doctor, whatever those things are. So your life really weaves, you know, and I think it's in particular because of our work, our life is our work. Our relationship is our business and our everything. So yeah, there's all of that kind of stuff. And, you know, interestingly, when we first started, maybe we were working like 80 hours a week because we were building websites and brochures and we didn't have a lot of clients. We were networking. We were just trying to grow the business and we had this opportunity to take a trip to uh, Riviera Maya for three days. And it was like ridiculously like cheap, like 375 bucks. That included a limo ride to the airport, airfare, and an all-inclusive. And <laughs> right. So how do you pass that up? So we're like, we're going to, we're going to do that. We're going to somehow figure out how to find that money <laughs> and we're going to take a break. And when we came back from that trip, after backing away for three or four days, we found a level of stability and we really learned something there about taking care of yourself and, you know, you're just better at making decisions and more efficient. And I think one of the things we also learned was learning to trust the process, mm -hmm. right? There are times, you know, and every business owner knows this, there's like the, the ups and the downs and the downs are really the really difficult times where you don't really know where, where that income is going to come from or when it's going to come. And so you just, you have to learn to trust that, you know, that something is happening in this moment that you have to learn from, right? And then that, that propels you forward for growth and getting to that next stage in, in development. But I mean, there was a long time where we had to learn that, <laughs> you know, just a lot of bumps and bruises along the way in order to, to start to learn that. And yeah, I am still learning it. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't we all? You know, you mentioned trust and it, in my experience, typically trust and patience kind of go hand in hand. And I'm going to be honest with you personally in my entrepreneurship journey, those are probably the two hardest things for me to grasp is to, because uh, it, it almost feels like you're letting go of control when you 
welcome patience and time and, and welcome trust into your life. It's like a process of release. And I'd love to know kind of your take on how we can begin maybe to trust the process more, but even trust our partners in the process. You know, letting go is an interesting term. And to me, it's, it's not about not doing the work, right? You have to, you have to, if you're going to bake a cake, you got to crack some eggs and you got to put some sugar and flour together. But once you put it in the oven, that's where the surrender happens, the letting go of what, what, what the outcome of that is. And, and I think having a lot of time helps because you can look back and go, yeah, but remember this happened. And then this came along that was even better. Or, you know, there was a, a saying that we heard that says, God removes people from your life because he hears conversations you didn't get to hear. So we don't always know when we're in it, in the middle of something, especially the downward trends. Oh, absolutely right. And they're, they're scary. And you, you learn to hold them very lightly and just keep moving. And, and then it resolves. Nothing stays. That's one thing that's for sure is change. Yeah, I, I remember one of my clients, you know, and he's like, just give me, give me the step-by-step -step process. I, I just want to skip to the end, get to the, you know, that, <laughs> the, that goal. I, I want to just reach the goal. Right. And, you know, I was like, well, okay, well, here's, here's the, the secret. I want you to go and plant a fruit tree and pick the fruit the next day and bring it in, you know, and he just, well, what do you mean? Well, you, you can't you, you know, you have to wait, you have to fertilize it. You have to let it grow. You have to take care of it. And, and one day you will be able to pick that fruit. But it's that whole process, the whole journey in between where you learn everything that you need to in order to be able to pick the fruit down the line, you know? And so letting go of this, like, I need to be in control of that next step is, is crucial, right? For all of us, especially the entrepreneurs, you'll be okay. Yeah. 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 And, you know, you mentioned, um, this period in your time when your kids weren't necessarily thriving and you were, you were having some challenges there and. It sounded like, and I, I've experienced this personally, where you go from one type of guilt as a parent. I'm not there. I'm too busy with work to another type. I brought my work home. My kid, my kid doesn't get my whole self. And so it's like you're trading types of guilt. And in so many people that I've spoken to feel the same way. There's this always this layer of guilt we feel about pursuing our own personal success when our family's there needing us in different ways. And I'm, I'm curious to know your thoughts on how we can deal with or maybe move through these really icky feelings of guilt we experience when we're going for success. You know, one of the books that we always recommend is called The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz. And the fourth agreement is always do your best. Mm -hmm. And he says, you know, the reason that's one of the agreements is because if you do less than your best, you feel guilt. Mm -hmm. But if you do better than your best, you also feel guilt. And so where did we get this benchmark of how much we're supposed to attend to what? And that is part of the journey. You know, our kids are grown and gone and have been for six years. We've been empty nesters. And, you know, you look back or we visit them. And when we visit them now, it's for chunks of time. We don't do Sunday dinners. They don't live in the state we live in. And so you learn about that quality over quantity. I was a single mom for 10 years and I put myself through college. And I, when my son was about five years old when I was a junior in college, and I would always say, okay, spring break, that's when we're going to go. And we're going to go to a hotel and we're going to swim in the pool. And, you know, until then hang in there. And I also learned that if he was really kind of climbing all over me, 
instead of saying, just give me 10 minutes, I would stop mm-hmm. and give him 10 minutes. And then he was okay. And then I could get back to my thing. But it isn't like gobs of time or hours and hours. And I think we're really hard on ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, those expectations that we hold over ourselves, they're not, they're, we, we don't make them fluid. It's this static expectation that every single day we hold ourselves to. And then that's what produces the guilt if we're not able to meet the bar, right? But the one thing that, you know, Miguel Ruiz talks about that always do your best is that it changes day by day, moment by moment. So if you wake up the next day and and you have the flu, well, you can't hold yourself with the same expectations that you did the day before. So your best is going to be different, right? And it's really checking in with yourself in the moment, being able to be in touch with who you are in the moment. What are you, what's your truth? And are you achieving that truth? Are you trying to do something better than that? And, you know, we wear so many hats, especially as entrepreneurs and some things you're good at and some things you're not. And I think the same thing is true with parenting. You can't be a full-time stay-at-home nanny slash teacher slash parent and live your whole life. And I I would also say, what are you showing your kids? Mm. If you're dedicated to your growth and you're dedicated to your family and you're showing them a good work ethic, I mean, that's also a wonderful thing to be teaching them. Not just if you have a need, I'm going to come and meet it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I love that. You're almost like pushing your children to build some resilience Mm -hmm. um, in a really like natural and safe way. Yeah. You know, you mentioned the word expectations, and I know that sometimes, and I, I can't believe I'm admitting this live on the air, um, I have unrealistic expectations of my partner, especially when work is busy, especially when I have goals, I have needs <laughs> and expectations, and nine times out of 10, sorry, babe, if you're listening, they don't get met. And I think, you know, sometimes we set ourselves up for failure in our relationships in those ways where we we have these like expectations in our head that we never verbalize, but we assume that the person knows and then we get angry when they don't know or don't do it. How can we, as good partners, as entrepreneurs, as busy people in this crazy world that we live in, start to set better expectations around our relationship and our partners, but also ourselves in the partnership? You know, with distance or the more distance and disconnected a couple is the more though you're going to make your partner out to be a monster Mm -hmm. right and you're going to have these expectations that come up in your head and one of the things we we learned we we hiked the john muir trail in 2016 so we hiked 180 miles you know 20 days backpacking it was just the two of us over 10 mountain passes and we learned that whenever we are we were in this, this funk. We just were feeling really bad or pain or something went wrong. Something went wrong. The first thing you did is you, you blamed your partner. <laughs> if you notice your kids do that. Yes. You know, maybe they trip over something and like, oh, I can't believe you put that there because they're embarrassed or they're in pain. And it, I think it's a natural. It's a very natural thing that couples <laughs> do. Absolutely. Right. So when we feel uncomfortable, something that, you know, some discomfort, it has to come up and out. And the first person that we're going to dish it out on is our partner, you know, the person that's closest to us. So mm-hmm. first, number one, expect that that's going to happen. Okay. You know, two is the closer the couple is, the more that they connect, the more that they, you know, talk about their experience 
moving through this world, the more your partner becomes a witness to your life, mm-hmm. right? And in that way, we are able to dispel some of those unrealistic expectations that we place on our partner. One of the things that we uh, notice when we first meet a couple is they're really good at the finger pointing. <laughs> if my partner would do that, I'd feel better. And because as human beings, we see out, we don't see like this. And what we know, it's always a 50-50. And whatever disappointment you have for your husband, I'm sure he has it for you as well. <laughs> don't ask him. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, part of that is, is because, uh, you know, in, in our subconscious brains, in, in our limbic system, and in that, that reptilian reactive brain, we carry all of our life experiences. And so when we're in that place where we're frustrated and we want someone to come and soothe us and take care of us and they don't, it's not just this moment. It's all the history of those moments. Mm -hmm. And so, and when you feel an emotion, you feel all of it. And so at that time, it looks like it's just him that's created all this feeling, but it's everything. And, you know, for us, those are great opportunities to, to heal something. And that's the real work that we do with couples is show them how to do that. How do you, you know, it's not about, well, I wanted him to do the dishes and he didn't do the dishes and can't he see him so busy? But it's like, what do, what's the real emotion coming up and what's it tied to? It's like a dandelion that goes all the way down into the roots. And if you can get down to the root of that, and I just heard this about dandelions today, <laughs> dandelion root reduces anger. One of my clients is using it for. Oh, really? Yeah. So I was like, that's interesting because dandelion roots are very tough. Yeah, they are. I was just weeding my garden a couple of days ago and I can attest to how tough they are to get rid of. <laughs> and they make you angry. Oh, man. Yeah, there were some emotions going on. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's the, the greatest thing about being in a relationship is your partner has the greatest opportunity to hurt you more than anyone else on this planet, but also the greatest opportunity to help you heal. I like yeah. how you worded that, help you heal, not heal you. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Right. Because you have to do the work, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Your, your healing isn't dependent on anyone else. Yeah. Right. You know, um, if it's any reassurance, Gene and I, we spend a lot of time together. You know, we have several businesses together. We are together all the time. We don't go to the grocery store without each other. I mean, it's, it's a lot of time. Yeah, we only have one car. And we have only one car so that... <laughs> we got rid of the second car. Right, we didn't need it, you know? So if it's any reassurance, we still do that too. We still have these unreal, unrealistic expectations that come up in our head about each other. Mm-hmm. And we still do that connecting and, and all that time. So couples out there that are, are not in the same business together, maybe one's an entrepreneur, the other one works for a company, and there is so much distance and disconnect and, you know, assumptions about what the other person's life is like, it is absolutely natural for those unrealistic expectations to come up and rear its ugly head and to make assumptions and to, to sling all this passive aggressiveness. I mean, that's just a part of it, but it's part of the dance and the development of a couple in the relationship. But the goal here is to learn how to repair those, learn how to, you know, connect and, and really start to understand your partner's experience in life. Yeah. 
And your guys' relationship is a really good example because you live you live very different lives. Mm-hmm. He's been gone for six months. You have no idea what that is like. He has no idea what it's like being in the grind and taking care of the kids and doing, you know. And so where's where's the connection? Where are you going to connect? And how do you even do that? And that's what we found is is when two people are in a relationship and they live very vastly different lives. So two working parents, pretty similar, a stay at home and a working. That's hard to resolve because, you know, the working parent thinks the other parents just home eating bonbons all day. So why didn't, you know, the house get cleaned and the one that's running around and every five minutes something changes and everything they plan to do, they can't get to because something else comes up and they can't understand each other is really tough. And when we get to that point where we're stretched far enough apart, that's the time to say we need to be more important than anything else right now. Yeah. And say no to everything else and go take a night or two if you can and go away and just bond together and, and do something fun and new and then get back in the game. And too often that's when we try to like fix it. Like we're in the middle of that stress. Yes. If I've learned anything, no Ikea furniture and no fixing of anything within that reintegration period because it does not go. <laughs> no. <laughs> You know, you mentioned the word connecting a lot. And for someone like me, I, I feel like a lot of the easy button is like you get home after a hard day. Or for me, I walk downstairs after a hard day and we turn on Netflix and like have a quiet moment. But it's not really connecting. It's like we're we're sitting on the couch sharing an experience, but we're not really doing the work of getting to know each other again. And it, it's it's tough. I think there's almost this awkward dance of like, okay, now you've grown into a new person. I've grown into a new person. How do we get to know each other again in this new way? What are some things that we can do to start to connect again? So a lot of people know the the term quality time, Mm -hmm. right? But they don't really know what quality time means. Yeah. And they think that, you know, sitting down in front of the TV, catching up on some shows together is quality time, but it, it isn't, mm-hmm. right? The TV is gaining our energy and our focus and not our partner, right? So we call it face-to-face time. Mm-hmm. Oh, I like that. Right. And that is without other people and no other screen. So going out with another couple, that is not face-to-face time. Mm-hmm. Going out with the kids, you know, that's family time, which is important, but it's not face-to-face time. And that is so important for couples to reconnect. And, you know, if you think about the time when you were dating, how much face-to-face time did you have? A ton, right? And, and what did you do? I mean, it, it could have been just stupid, just sitting around and, you know, and, and having a glass of wine and just talking about all these different things about the world, solving, you know, the world's problems. and you know, and having fun doing it. And that's that face-to-face time that's so necessary for couples to reconnect. And as you said, you know, it's kind of like getting reacquainted again because you are, you went through different experiences and you didn't, you weren't able to share that with each other. So this is the time to really share and, and regain becoming each other's witness in life. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that I would even recommend even prior to trying to do that is have a lovely place outside and sit in quiet because you're both sort of in a little bit of shock, right? Your nervous systems are pretty fried and give yourself, you know, I don't know if you, if you get massages, but 
you know, the first 10, 15 minutes, your brain's still, and then you start releasing those lovely hormones and relax. If you go outside and you listen to nature and you just sort of breathe some fresh air and be for 15, 20 minutes, and then you look at each other and you say, hello. <laughs> Once you're got a little self-care in there and then you can, you know, start those kind of conversations. And if you think about when you were dating, you prepared yourself for a date. Yes. You, you bathed and you shaved and you bought clothes and you, you know, and it's not just like, okay, the kids are about to go outside and talk about, <laughs> you know. I want to take a moment to thank you for listening to the Hustle Less, Profit More podcast. If you're enjoying this episode, please take a moment to give it a five-star rating and leave a review. By doing so, you're helping to increase the visibility of the show so others just like you can find it. Thank you. I love that you mentioned self-care and alone time because as a working parent, there is not a lot of alone time. <laughs> like mornings are family bonding, but it's work with clients and then it's dinner and then it's and it feels like you're constantly being pulled in different directions. And by the time you get to spend time with your partner, it's like you don't even really know yourself, let alone getting to know someone else. Um, and so I appreciate that you say take the time for yourself first to prepare because I can just imagine how nice like 15 minutes of myself would be before a date or going out. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, another thing that is is really healing for us is something that we call heart to heart time. Mm -hmm. And and it's without words and you just hold each other, you know, and let your hearts have some time to reconnect. And it's really soothing to our nervous system. It's really uh, releases oxytocin, helps you feel connected and bonded. And you guys are apart for great length of time. Who's touching you? Mm -hmm. Where is that? And and so just to have just that really great way to ground each other right when you're first reuniting is also really important, even beyond trying to share what you've been through in the last six months. <laughs> yeah, we usually encourage couples to you know begin the day end the day with you know, just affection, just that holding, that's just the nurture, right? And that is where that release of oxytocin bonding, you know, hormone in our, in our brain is released. And that's where we reconnect at a physical level, right? And that's without words. It's non-sexual touch. It's just this affection. And for couples who are physically apart, you know, that that's pretty difficult, but you still can connect in different ways, right? Just starting the day off with you know, there was a couple that knew, uh, I knew that they fell asleep. They were, I don't know, countries away from each other, fell asleep on FaceTime. <laughs> Every night. Every night. Wow. And, and so it was a way for them to, to try to get beyond that, you know, that physical distance and, and still try to start their day off and end their day off together. If you think about the word acclimate, you know, we, we have a home in Colorado. And we are also have a home in Illinois and it's amazing what's different. You know, the, the weather is different. The humidity level is different. Cooking is different. My hair is different. Everything is different in either place when you're adjusting back and forth. And if, if you take a plant, which we just moved our plants there, some of them didn't make the transition. Mm. And so when your husband's coming home, he's acclimating to the environment, you're acclimating to having him there. And those are really subtle things that we don't really kind of think about. Of yeah. it, it's a little shock to our system uh, at a more of an unconscious level. 
I'm curious because obviously like my husband and I are a bit of an extreme mm-hmm. <laughs> um, experience in, in that we're apart for so long and so frequently and it's it's very rapid changes to our family. But I know um, a lot of my friends and family are, they're in dynamic households with two different roles and, you know, one is striving for success in one pursuit and the other is striving for success in the other pursuit. And it's almost like there are almost micro versions of the same thing that we go through. But it's easier, I find, for me to be able to pinpoint those times and those transitions. Whereas for these other couples that we know, it's almost difficult to see when things happen or are needed. So I'm curious to know for those who who do live together and are around each other all the time, ways that they can start to kind of implement maybe um, getting to know each other again in those micro moments. You know, what's interesting is that um, COVID really really kind of shined a light on relationships. You know, there were couples who uh, were apart majority of the day because they worked at different places and then they saw each other for maybe a couple hours at night. Um, But they were thrown into being in the same environment 24-7. And some couples are still in that kind of a a setting right now, still working remotely from home. I know one of one couple, even though that they work at home, and they work in two different places of the house, they still don't see each other and they still don't have face-to-face time, you know? And so it, it, it's really a, a matter of how they've set up their relationship, you know, to begin with. And, and then you have these life stressors and everything, and they just continue to try to maintain that status quo, okay? But it's, this is the challenge. It's really for, for couples to, to stay reconnecting with each other you know, being able to understand your partner and their experience. There's a, you know, the concept of the frog in boiling water. So if you put a frog in room temperature water and start to slowly heat it up, the frog doesn't jump out, mm-hmm. <laughs> just stays there and kind of cooks. And I think the same thing that happens in relationship is, is we just desensitize more and more and more to the point where we are very accepting of things that are unacceptable. Um, and, and we cope with that with distraction and with vices. I mean, it's no, no big secret that the sale of wine and alcohol has gone up when we're going through stressful times. And so, you know, that like having a set time where you really check in with yourself and your partner and say, is this really what we want? Is this working for us? Is if we, if we had a magic wand, what would we want to create? And, you know, you do this in your business periodically. You set a mission, a vision, values. You go revisit it. You set goals. Are they working? Do I need to change it up? Well, relationships can do the same thing. You know, what, what if one Sunday a month we go to breakfast and we say, how are things going? Are you happy? Am I happy? You know, what do we need? What do we want to change? And instead, I think we just sort of like, flatline and well maybe once the kids grow up (laughs) and the number one reason why couples break up after the kids leave the house is because they lack a common vision Mm -hmm. and so if if couples are just really focusing on the everyday grind and not focused on that common vision that point in the future that they're both heading towards and working so hard you know every day then they lose track of each other and they lose track of where they want to be. Yeah. It reminds me of when you hear um, 
the the phrase like oh we have nothing in common anymore mm-hmm. right and and did you ever have anything really truly in common like what what changed uh between the two of you environmentally and with yourselves too yeah and in you know biology gives us a little push in that direction as well you know especially in the female brain when you are in when you go through puberty your brain rewires itself a little bit and says be pleasing to another person mm-hmm. and you know show up for them and care about what they think about you and so you kind of start to lose you you know christian northrup talks about this in her book called the wisdom of menopause and she said you know girls are in their greatest truth between birth and 10 years old and then when you go through the reverse menopause your brain rewires again and says okay your turn mm-hmm. and at that point you're looking in the mirror at a stranger and the breakdown's really in the individual person first, not do we have anything in common, but who am I? What do I even like? And th- those are the kind of things that along the way, if you, if you plug into well, what would make me happy, what is important, you know, do I have, is it okay for me to take three hours once a week and learn something and leave the kids and, and your partner's got it and, and people don't want to do that. You know, they always feel like not enough. I'm not giving the kids enough. I'm not working enough. I'm not doing anything enough. And those kind of things are the big wake-up call that happens in our 50s that says, yeah, what happened to your life? And where did you go? <laughs> and that's a really common thing to lose yourself. You know, I I think in stages of my life, there have been times where I felt like that too. Whenever there was a big transition, whether it was a career transition or like a kind of coming of age, you feel like you're stepping into a new version of yourself and you don't know who you are. And I know as an entrepreneur too, every time that my business hits a new peak or a new level, I feel like I go along with it for the ride. I become a new person. And then I come back to my partner who maybe doesn't feel new. And it's like, how, how can I still pursue this new growth as a person professionally and personally and not feel like either my partner's not growing at the same rate or like we're growing apart? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, couples do grow at different rates. And we, we've seen it kind of a leapfrog type of, type of pattern. And when you do grow yourself, you feel that gap, you know, and you feel that stretch, like stretch of a rubber band between you and a partner. And there is a challenge there, right? For your partner to grow also. And if they don't, there is that feeling of growing apart because that is what's happening. You know, I, I hear it a lot from others where they hit a breaking point almost where it's like, and in my experience, ultimatums just don't work really well, at least in our relationship. I don't. I mean, it just doesn't, it's not super helpful, but I feel like in my experience, at least in talking to friends and family, there seems to be this point where it almost gets left for so long that all of a sudden it becomes like a dire need to change. And it's this ultimatum situation, do or die for the sake of the relationship. But I I feel like there's got to be a better way to start having those conversations where it doesn't feel like an ultimatum and it doesn't feel like you're attacking your partner either. What do you say that women believe? Women believe what men say and not what they do. Mm-hmm. And men believe what women do and not what they say. Mm-hmm. And what you're talking about is 
that idea of we're, we're tolerating, we're tolerating, we're tolerating. Now you think of the female body, it's cyclical. And then one day you can see it. And it seems sudden of a problem that's just been sitting and it's suddenly no longer tolerable. And I think that is a natural process of growth. And it's not so much about ultimatums as it is about a personal journey that says, I, I can't participate in this anymore. And, you know, if, if this doesn't change, I have to, I have to do something. Then that's the action and mm -hmm. not the words. Yeah. You know, whereas women will just, men will hear, uh, complain, 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 but then there is no real change in behavior, but they will trust the behavior change. Yeah. Yeah. You hear like, um, you hear about nagging a lot. I've, I may have nagged once or twice in my life. <laughs> <laughs> and you never want to be the person nagging, but I feel like it's almost a default where it's the first thing that I start to do when I notice something's not right. It's, okay, let's, and I talk about it more than taking action. So I like that reminder of, of it, you have to change the behavior in order to really make progress. Yeah. Yeah. It's always usually starts with the laundry. That's my favorite place because if you, if you don't do, if you do only your laundry, Hmm, maybe someone else will find that there might be something going on. <laughs> and again, it's a behavior, but a lot of times we're so uncomfortable with making it obviously, you know, where you can see it and, and, you know, stopping in, and asking yourself, what am I doing to contribute to this? And we do it as moms and all relationships, our first relationship is parent child. Mm -hmm. So when we wind up with a partner, we show up parent child. Sometimes as the mom to the little boy, sometimes as the dad to the little girl, but we're not figuring out this us playing at the same level. And that's really the journey of being in a relationship and takes quite a bit of time to figure those things out, you know, and sometimes what we call an ultimatum is, well, I, I would say it this way. If, if the first spiritual truth is that all is one and it's hurtful to one person, it's hurtful actually to everybody. Mm. And if it's good for one person, it's good for everybody. So that, that hitting that wall is saying something's out of whack. Yeah. For all of us. Yeah. And I know for me, like I have been, I want to say programmed through my family experiences to avoid conflict at all costs. Right. And I, I know a lot of people who are like me, <laughs> where it's the people pleasing, maybe um, the child who had to step up into a parental role a little early to try and stabilize the family and avoid conflict or drama. And we bring that into our, our relationships now. And I know that I avoid conflict and avoid hard conversations. And so those conversations around personal growth even though innately I know they're safe conversations, I still avoid them. And so I'm wondering if you have any tips or suggestions on how we can start to maybe bring up the topic without either feeling like you're jumping into conflict or whether or not we should start to look at conflict differently. You know, the thing is with conflict is that it is inevitable, mm -hmm. right? Conflict is going to happen in every relationship. It's not a matter of if, it's when. And so I, I use the example of a credit card bill. It's like that bill's due. It's always going to be due, right? You have two choices. You got to pay it now or you can pay it later with interest. Oh, I like that. And so when we avoid, 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 it is now a much bigger conflict down the line, right? And on top of it, we're putting our own resentment towards ourselves because we kept it in for so long. 
mm-hmm. on top of that conflict as well. Right. So the, the way to approach conflict is really from a place of your primary emotions is from your truth, because that's not debatable. You feel because you feel, I feel sad. I feel empty. I feel lonely. Right. If I feel angry now, that's debatable. That's a secondary emotion. I feel frustrated. I feel, you know, frustrated that you're not doing this or doing that. That's, that's a a debate. Now it's not truth. And when a couple comes from a place of that primary, you know, I am feeling really insecure. I'm, I'm feeling really disconnected. And then that's opens the door for more of a conversation than a conflict. In, in psychology, the psychologist, Carl Jung, he has this concept of the morning of life and the afternoon of life. Mm-hmm. And in the morning of life is our domestication in the ways that we were told how to be in this world as a man, as a woman, as parents, as people. And the, the goal of the afternoon of life, which some people never, ever get to, is to choose for yourself and to decide those things. And, and there's no magic moment that you go, oh, I can do things different than the way I was taught. And that's why like in our field in the 1970s, we called it mental illness. And now we call it emotional wellness or mental health. And we don't have to wait as a couple until someone's having an affair or somebody wants a divorce or somebody's doing the ultimatum. If we learn how to have those kind of conversations before they're even a thing and start to explore. And so, you know, we created a a program called Relationship 101 for that reason. And it kind of talks you through like, okay, here's, here's kind of like how your brain is. Here's what you learned in life. Do you understand that? Do you understand someone taught you how to be that? And they, they were taught that and they were taught that. And it wasn't always that way. Somebody made it up somewhere along the line. And then it frees you to have those conversations you didn't know you needed to have before there's a big stressor that makes it come out messy. Although it usually comes out messy anyways, because that's our reactive brain. You know, that part when we don't feel safe, we don't behave very well. Mm -hmm. And so those are kind of the options you can, like if you're using your credit card analogy, well, you could also go to a financial planner and set some goals and move towards something that you want. And so I think that is, if you're going to try to be preemptive, that would be how you would do it is like, you would say, okay, we're going to sit down and we're going to have these conversations and not from a place of blame or pain yet, but just like dreams. What do we want? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And sometimes we're talking about emotional wellness and, and the emotions that we experience and their truth. I think sometimes we feel responsible for the emotions of others. At least I definitely do. Um, I need to make him happy. I need to make him X, Y, Z. I need to not make this person angry. And so we take on that as a responsibility instead of letting that person feel and seeing the truth behind their feeling as well. So I I really appreciate that perspective shift right there. You just like laid it on me. (laughs) Yeah. You know, we don't have the emotional remote control for our partners. Or for anyone else. (laughs) Well, those would make so much money though. (laughs) And if we did, we wouldn't set it to frustrated and angry, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you could give one piece of advice or one tip for the couples who are listening today, 
who recognize that maybe they've been a little bit busy and disconnected, but have a, a goal or a vision of, of a, a better version of their relationship, where would you tell them to start? I would say that physical pain is something that heals with time. And it's something that we avoid, right? But when it comes to emotional pain, especially in our relationships, it's something that we need to lean into. Mm. And so lean into it. If you're in that place of strife in your relationship, you both have to lean into it because that's where the learning is. That's where the growth is. And that's where you guys can get to that next level and understand what you are supposed to learn in this moment. Everything that's great about being in a relationship is illogical. So it is more important to understand than to be understood. It's more important to love than to be loved. And, you know, that comes from a prayer called uh, Prayer of St. Francis. And it's like the opposite of what's logical. And the same thing in being an entrepreneur, right? Givers gain. The more you show up and help other people, the more energy flows back, you know. And so it's not what you can get, it's what you can give. And if you stay focused there, then you can solve a lot of the issues that come up. For our listeners who want to investigate more into Couple Synergy and learn more about you, where can they find you online? They can uh, go to couplesynergy.com and learn a lot more about the programs that we offer and some of the products that we have as well. Um, they can reach us uh, through our podcast. You can get our podcast anywhere, a couple synergy, real couples, real stories, real relationships, and then uh, Facebook and Instagram at couple synergy. I want to thank you both so much for today. Not only do I feel like I can leave and go into my relationship a better partner, but I know the listeners so appreciate everything that you've shared with us today. So thank you so much for your time. Thank Thanks. you for having us. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Thank you for joining me in another episode of the Hustle Less, Profit More podcast. Thanks to our season one sponsor, Asteri Pursuit Marketing and Communications. You can find show notes and resources at hustlelessprofitmorepodcast.com. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to rate and review us where you get your podcasts. Join us again next time to uncover more of the keys to achieving success, wealth, fulfillment, and freedom. Thanks for listening.